0: You're listening to Blackpool Church Podcast. Join us for our Sunday gatherings to make friends, explore faith, and encounter God. Visit our website, blackpool.church. This is the Talk Archive. Today, we are looking at a passage from Mark's Gospel, and it's Mark 16, chapter 1 to 7. And this passage tells the story, or part of the story, of Jesus' resurrection. And the topic that I would like to speak to you about today is who will roll the stone away? Who will roll the stone away? Let me read to you from Mark 16, 1 to 7. If you've got a Bible, you can switch it on, or open it up, or whatever. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It's so exciting for me, at least, to be able to gather with you all on Easter Sunday and in our incredibly newly renovated building, which is really exciting. And there's lots of wonderful things about this building that the builders have done, which I'm excited about. I, I love the crash over here that we didn't used to have that's available for young families to take advantage of if they need I love that the the cafe space over there has been opened up so that we can welcome more people into the church. Hopefully you got a brilliant welcome as you came into church today. I love John's ridiculously massive sound desk that was much bigger than we asked it to be. There's so many things I'm excited about. I love that we get to see some of this incredible architecture that was made many years ago to help people worship Jesus. But one of the things I'm most excited about is a room, which is just over here in the side, And in that room, we are sort of dedicating a space for 24-hour prayer. We're gonna set aside times where we'll pray continuously, hour on hour, asking God to make a difference in our town. And so when we're doing that, if you want, you can wake up at 3 a.m. and get in your car if you have one, or on your bike, and you can come down here and you can go into the room and at 3:35 a.m. or whatever it is, you can get on your knees and ask God to do something powerful in our town. And in my experience, that's a very powerful thing to do. It's totally crazy. It's very powerful but the room in there took quite a bit of doing it's not quite ready yet but it's taken quite a bit of work to get sorted it basically had 20 plus years worth of church stuff in there from hardcore churching I mean there was all sorts in there paddling pools and table tennis nets and wires coming out of walls that you didn't know if they were live or not all sorts of different things and then slap bang in the middle of one of the walls right where you might want to stand there was an enormous cast iron safe the thing is huge right and I sort of felt like if we're going to use this room for prayer then we probably need a bit more room so maybe the safe can go and so I spoke to the builders to say I wonder if we could get this safe out there they were disappointed to hear this news And so they measured the door very carefully in the hope that the safe wouldn't fit, but it would fit. (laughs) And so I started to chat to Dave, our builder, to say, how can we get this safe out? And we said, I'll tell you what we'll do. It looks like it's pretty heavy, but maybe if we can just sort of not like we're not going to be able to lift the safe on our own, but maybe we could just sort of rock it a little bit. If we can rock the safe, then maybe we'll just get an idea of how heavy this thing is. Dave's a very strong man. I am not a very strong man, but, you know, we do our best. And so we we grab this safe, the two of us, and with every fibre of strength in our bodies, like we even shouted heave, which, as you know, helps you lift anything. We shouted heave and we like gave it everything, And I can tell you that the safe did not move even a millimetre. I mean, it didn't even pretend to move. If you were to take a video of us moving the safe, compare it with a photo of us moving the safe, those two things would be identical. The safe did not move. If anything, I think as I lifted, I just slightly went down into the floor. There are some footprints in the room where you can see my feet in the ground. Now, I have no idea in the end how they managed to get the safe out. I think not having me involved probably helped quite a bit. But eventually they got it out and they got it out because we were insistent that this thing had to go to make space for us to encounter Jesus. And in our reading today, I was struck by another immovable object, an object that was blocking people from having an encounter with Jesus. You'll probably know the story, but just to recap, there are these three women. Scholars think they're probably all called Mary. And these women have been part of Jesus's group of disciples for many years. They've journeyed with him and seen him do incredible things. They've helped other people encounter Jesus through his teaching and just supported his ministry but then 2 days before this event they've had the absolutely traumatic tragic experience of seeing their friend and their mentor the one that they were following and hoping in they've seen him publicly arrested humiliated tortured and eventually executed and i suspect even to like the very last breath They were holding out hope that maybe Jesus would do something. They've seen him do incredible things in his ministry. He's healed people. He's he's even brought people back from back from the dead. Surely, Jesus, you're gonna do something to stop yourself from dying. But he doesn't. He dies. They see Jesus properly die in front of them. It's shocking. Two days later, we join the story and they've gathered to head to the tomb to anoint Jesus's body with some flowers and spices and herbs. It's early in the morning. It's probably spring in Israel. And so it's cold when they gather, but as the sun comes up, it starts to get warm. They walk along the road. It's dusty. As they go, I suspect they can smell the spices that they've brought with them. It's a beautiful smell that they smell, but it's also quite a tragic one because they've smelt this before when people known to them have died. So I suspect it's quiet most of the way as they walk. But then as they go, one of the women remembers something. She remembers that the tomb which Jesus has been laid in has been sealed. Now normally tombs would be carved out of rock and they would be available for multiple people to be buried in. But this particular tomb for Jesus was a gift from their friend Joseph and it was given over entirely to him. Nobody had been buried in it yet and after he was put in there they sealed it with this enormous stone rolled over the entrance of the tomb. And so the woman walking remembers, oh, oh no, there's a stone in the way. And so she asks her friend, who will roll the stone away? Like Who's going to make a way for us to be with Jesus? Who can do this thing that feels completely impossible, where there's a barrier in the way? Who is going to roll the stone away? And the answer is, Jesus will. Jesus is going to roll the stone away in verse 4 we see but when they looked up they saw that the stone which was very large had been rolled away come on somebody see while they were still worrying Jesus had been working while they were doubting Jesus had been doing who will roll a stone away? Jesus will roll the stone away he's going to do it when it feels like there's no way you know what's cool about this passage as well? is the people that Jesus chooses to show himself to first. I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you're really excited to tell somebody some particular news. Something's happened. Maybe, maybe you got engaged or maybe someone's given you a great gift or something like that. And you're you're desperate to tell somebody. You've been holding it as like a secret and you're excited. And so you pick really carefully who the person is that you're going to tell first. Maybe it's going to be your mom, or maybe it's your best friend or your brother or sister or something like that. Hey, well, in this story, Jesus has the best news to tell somebody. And it's not just like the best news for him. This is the best news that has ever been told ever been heard and so I suspect that he thought really carefully about the people he was going to tell first and he picked these women I notice in the passage that it said very early in the morning right at the start and I noticed that particularly because me and very early in the morning were not really on speaking terms like very early in the morning and me if I went to a restaurant there's one seat available it was next to very early in the morning. I'm going to go and get a takeaway, like I'm not interested. I don't know if any, is anyone with me? Anyone? An enemy of very early in the morning? Is that just me? But what I notice in the story is that very early in the morning, the women are up and about doing something, right? someone's thinking well of course the women are up and about doing something in the morning there's a job to be done the men are back sleeping in the house they're like hiding or something like that but the women they're up and about come on sisters (laughs) but it says very early on the first day of the week just after sunrise they were on their way to the tomb the point is that women in first century Israel were a massively undervalued people and maybe these women in particular were particularly undervalued because of their backgrounds. But Jesus chose to tell this amazing news to these people first. And that says something significant about these women, says something significant about how he values women. But it says something more significant about just who Jesus is. It says that he's interested in the people who they would consider themselves unlikely He's interested in the people who might be ruled out by others or by themselves. Jesus is interested in sharing the story of his resurrection with you, no matter how unlikely that might seem to you. You might have walked into church thinking, well, I don't normally come here. I'm not a particularly religious person. I don't know if this is sort of for me particularly. I think the story of the resurrection is for you. Jesus chooses you maybe even first to tell this news to today. Here's the thing, in life, I think we are going to find a number of stones, of boulders, which need to be rolled away. They're barriers to a relationship with God, to life following Jesus, to life in all its fullness. But the story of Easter is that Jesus is strong enough to move every stone, every barrier, And so as we finish, let me just give you three examples. The first is the barrier to forgiveness. This stone says, oh, I'm not good enough. You don't know what I've done. I don't deserve the things that I have. Hey, well, that's true, actually. I don't know what you've done and you probably don't deserve the things that you have. No doubt. We all do things that separate us from God that we need forgiveness for. But at Easter, we remember that Jesus was taking on himself those things and he was putting them to death. When we do things that we need forgiveness for, it's a bit like we owe God a debt. And at Easter, we remember that Jesus paid the debt with his life. It's the most valuable thing that could have been paid. And the resurrection is basically the proof that the check cleared, that he was worth enough. He was more than valuable enough to cover the debt. And what that means for us is that we're forgiven. You can be forgiven from whatever it is that you're carrying. You can be set free from it because of the resurrection. The second barrier is the barrier to intimacy, a close relationship with God. This stone says, you know, God's up there and I'm down here. Why would he be interested in me? Why would the creator of the universe take any interest in me? I don't know if I could be a person who could connect with God in that way, it might say. In the story, the women are going to this tomb and they know as they go that going in there will make them ceremonially unclean by the Jewish law. That basically means uh, they're going to be banned from going into places of worship and they'll be held at arm's length by the community until the time has passed. For them, it'll feel almost like God is holding them at arm's length. But in Matthew's account of the story, it says, in verse nine, suddenly Jesus met them. Suddenly God met them in Jesus. They came to him, they clasped his feet and worshipped him. And he said, don't be afraid. There's such a powerful intimacy in this story. Jesus is so close and tender and kind with these women. And that means that you can have that relationship with Jesus as well. You can't really have a friendship with somebody who's dead. But because Jesus is alive, you can have a personal, intimate friendship and relationship with him today. The final stone is the barrier to life. It's the ultimate statistic, isn't it? One in one people die. And in this last six months or something, Nick and I have lost three really dear family members. One sort of before their time, and one a long, long time before their time. And when those things happen, it's really painful and tragic, and it feels so final when a coffin is lowered into the ground. It feels so final. And it is, unless Jesus died and rose and rising he's proved that even death is no barrier to him and that in Jesus when you put your life and trust in him you can have a life which starts now but goes on forever even beyond death that's the hope of Jesus the final barrier that's been removed in a moment 10 or so people are going to be baptized and when they're baptized they follow that same journey it's sort of like their funeral, in a way, first. Congratulations, folks. It's great to be at your funeral. I thought the speaker was excellent. <laughs> uh, because we're sort of putting them to death, effectively. It's like they go down into the water. But then as we pull them up, and don't worry, we will pull you up after no more than a minute. Uh, we'll pull you up. And it's like, it's like a birthday. It's like a new life has started. And they're following that journey that Jesus made but the the baptism is like just a physical sign of a spiritual reality and it's something that's possible for you as well today by the Holy Spirit when you put your trust in Jesus to go from death to a new life because Jesus has rolled the stone away and he'll roll every stone away and so as you come today I don't know why you've come here there there could be lots of different reasons but I, I hope you know that you can have forgiveness from your sins, forgiveness from anything that you've done wrong, that you can have an intimate relationship with Jesus, and that you can have life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, Amen. Plotted it. In-